0: We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. So we're in a week two of a series called Defying Darkness, and this series is pivoting on one moment in human history that changed everything. There, you can mark it, it's so drastic, you can mark life before it and life after it. Before this moment in history, there was a hopelessness that lingered in the human experience. Before this moment, peace was something that was fleeting. It was something you couldn't hold on to. It was like water in your hands. Joy was driven circumstantially in your life, and love was conditional. But the birth of Jesus changed everything. The birth of Jesus stands defiantly in the face of darkness. Last week, Pastor Keith helps us to see that you can illuminate hope in the middle of the darkness. And this week, we're gonna talk about peace. You know, it's interesting. We're looking at a familiar passage. Maybe the most famous passage in the Christmas story It's found in Luke chapter 2. And because it's so familiar, I'm sure even if you're not a part of church and this is your first time here, you've probably heard at least a sentence from this set of verses. Here, let's pick it up. These are the angels declaring what's going to happen to these shepherds. He said, don't be afraid. You'll notice this often when you read the Bible. Whenever anyone encounters God, there's a trembling there's a fear. There's this awe. And he says to them, the angels appear and said, don't be afraid. The angel said to them, look, I've got good news for you. News which will make everybody very happy. Did you, did you need some good news today? Well, we've got some good news for you. Every, today, a savior has been born for you. The Messiah, the Lord in David's town. This will be the sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped up and lying in a feeding trough or a manger. Suddenly, with the angel, there was a crowd of heavenly hosts, and they were praising God, saying, and here's, here's the familiar line, Glory to God in the highest and peace upon earth among those in his favor. Peace among earth, on earth among those in his favor. Well, every kind of, everyone, if you ask anybody, what's Christmas about? Even if they don't believe in Christmas or Jesus being born, uh, there's many things that they might not believe, but they kind of know that Christmas is all about peace on earth. But what is this peace on earth? You know, because it's so familiar, sometimes that's what makes it hard to understand. I'm going to take a minute and just tell you what it's not so we can better understand what it is. This peace on earth that the angels declared, it's not world peace. It's just not world peace. You know, if it was about world peace, you'd have every right to say, well, it's not working. It's not working. I mean, Jesus, your followers have been on this planet for 2,000 years. Your message of peace on earth has been on this planet for 2,000 years, and it ain't working. I mean, look in this world. You see conflict between Palestine and Israel right now. And how, who of us have not been moved by the images you've seen of children being caught up as casualties in this conflict? Terrible. On staff, we have a Palestinian man on our staff, our church staff, and together, we are praying for peace for both sides. We are praying for peace to come, for that war to end, that conflict to end. You know, people are claiming the moral high ground, and, but you know what's being done? Irreparable damage to families and people. So, You look at this and you say, Peace on Earth, right? 1,020 days. That's how long the conflict's going on between Russia and Ukraine. Can you believe it? So it's been over a thousand days now. It's claimed over five, or there's been over 500,000 casualties. Jesus, peace on Earth. Peace on Earth. There's a conflict happening in the Middle East that we don't often talk about, and it's the war in Yemen. It's been going on since 2015, and over 377,000 people are dead because of it, and two-thirds of the Yemeni population is now under threat of famine. Peace on earth. I love being a part of One Church Deal. I love this church community, whether you're online or in person in this room. In 2020, we gave $50,000, matched by the Canadian government, made it $100,000 of relief for the Yemeni people. Because they're starving. Peace on earth. I mean, if you're to look around the world and if the declaration made by the angels meant to be peace on this earth, then it's not working, is it? But why should we believe that? Actually, a few chapters later, 20 some chapters later, in chapter 21 of Luke, Jesus says, His disciples say, What will be the signs of the end times? And Jesus says these words. When you hear about wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. These things have to happen first. In other words, if you were here a few months ago when Dr. Van was preaching, he kind of kicked off our last series, he kind of did this pose. Do you remember that? Things are getting better and things are getting worse at the same time. So wars are going to be a part of until Jesus returns. So it's not world peace he's necessarily talking about here. We shouldn't expect for that. But it's not just not world peace. It's not personal peace either. It's not personal peace. There's this idea sometimes that if Jesus comes into your life, everything in your life is going to get better. Everything around you is going to get better. But that's not the case. Again, another few chapters later, chapter 12 of Luke, Jesus says something we never quote in the Christmas story but I'm going to share it right now. He said this. He said, do you suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth? Can you say this word with me? I I thought Jesus the angel said, what? Do you think I brought peace to the earth? No, let me tell you, but rather division. From now on, you will see families will be split down the middle. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. What is he talking about here? What's he describing here? I like how Dr. Tim Keller talks about it. He reflects on this verse, and he says this. He says, if, if I, meaning Jesus, come into your life, there's going to be a disturbance. You're not going to have this wonderful peace around you all the time. First of all, you're going to find peace. Who, you're going to find people who you, you used to get along with. Sorry, I'm dyslexic, and I struggle sometimes. used to get along with, you won't anymore. What he's saying, he's describing, he's saying, when you follow Jesus, you you take a set of values and principles of a different kingdom, different than the kingdom of this world. And you've got to understand, it doesn't rub everyone the right way. Some people benefit from the values and the structures of the kingdom of this world. And they feel the hostility of when you hold on to a different ethic, a different value, a value of loving your enemies, forgiving those who persecute you. Those are different ethics and they rub against the culture of this world. So you can know this that that peace on earth that, that is described it's not a personal peace. And you might want to push back and you should you say, but listen, I grew up singing a hymn that talked about peace like a river attending your soul, right? Or I've read verses like this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And God's, say it with me, peace, which is greater than we can ever understand will keep guard over your hearts, your minds, in Messiah Jesus, his peace will. Well, Jonathan, isn't there a peace available to us? Yeah. There is this internal peace that defies the external disturbances around you. There is this internal peace that you can have amidst the turmoil around you. But know this, friends. When you experience peace with God, there's gonna be a softening in your heart. And if your heart softens and you live in this world like it's constructed, you're going to feel pain in this life. You can't watch things and your heart not bleed anymore. You can't see people suffering. You can't see people who weren't included and not have your heart break for them. Why? Because your heart has been changed. The peace of God has softened your heart. And it does mean that there's pain in this life. But I like what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says this. He says, peace doesn't mean that you will not have problems. Peace means that your problems will not have you. They'll not have you. There is something. But if you're looking for peace around you, don't think that Jesus being added into your life is somehow going to miraculously bring peace all around you. It's not going to bring peace to our world. When Jesus comes into your life, things are going to get messy. So what did it mean when the angels declared peace on earth in Luke chapter 2? Well, it's actually hidden in plain sight. If you go to the previous chapter, chapter 1, we're introduced to a man named Zechariah. And Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist, kind of a celebrity in the New Testament. If you've ever, you've probably heard his name. Well, he's the father and he's mute. He can't speak. But all of a sudden, God comes on him and he can speak again and he prays over his son who's yet unborn and he says these words. He says, you child, meaning John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the most highest one. You'll go before the Lord preparing his way, letting his people know of salvation through the forgiveness of all their sins, guiding our feet into the path of peace. Zachariah is doing something. He's talking about something very specific. He's connecting peace with the forgiveness of sins. Peace with the forgiveness of sins. It's hidden right in plain sight. What does peace on earth mean? It means now we can be forgiven of our sins. Now we can know what it means to be connected to God again. Actually, there's another telltale sign, but it's kind of hidden in plain sight again. And it's hidden because sometimes our translators get things wrong. In the, in the New Testament, it was written originally in an ancient Greek, and it's translated into English. You know, spoiler alert, it wasn't written in English. And, and, you know, sometimes, if you're of my vintage or my age, you may have grown up in church reading an older version translation called the King James Version, a solid transla- translation. But it kind of lets us down with this verse. Because in the King James Version, it says this, On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That sounds like peace on earth, doesn't it? Like that, that, that sounds like that's why we get peace on earth from that Christmas story. And that's why we think the Christmas story is all about peace on earth. Why? Goodwill toward all men. But a better translation is this. Peace upon earth among those in his favor. In other words, before there was ill will between us and God. But for some of us, there is now goodwill between us and God. How do you receive that peace? You see, it's not just peace around us or peace between us. It's not just peace around us. It's now peace between God and us. So how do you receive that? Well, I like what Dr. Dale Bruner says. He says, if you want to receive a gift, you have to admit you need the gift. I like that. If you want to receive it, he says, the real secret to receiving this peace is you have to admit you're at war with God you have to admit you need it. Like, let's imagine it's Christmas morning. Okay, it's Christmas morning, and, and I got you a gift. And you come to it, and you get it from under the Christmas tree, and you open it up, and what it is is a coupon for a free tattoo removal. <laughs> now, if you have a tattoo of regret, you know, if some people have regret tattoos, then that's, that's a gift you want, right? You're like, wow, great. Or if you've got a tattoo you just don't like anymore, but if you like your tattoos or you don't have a tattoo, you're going to put it back in the envelope and say, you know, I, I don't need this. Unless you can admit, you can't, unless you admit it that you need something, you can't receive it. Unless you need it, you can't receive it. If you don't admit that you are at war with God, how can you ever receive peace with God? You need to admit it. You need to acknowledge it. See, there's a hostility, the Bible says, that every human being has between them and God. Romans 8, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says this way. He says, the mind focused on the flesh, you see, is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. In fact, it can't. There's a hostility. The natural inclination of my heart is hostility between me and God. That's why my greatest need is reconciliation with God. Here's what we get confused. I'm determined this is my problem. Maybe it's your problem too. I'm acutely aware of my most pressing need, not often my greatest need. Because you're aware of your most pressing need, you're often blind to your greatest need. When a man in the Gospels was brought to Jesus, he was paralyzed and his friends lowered him through the roof and he lowered to the ground in front of Jesus the great healer. And they're waiting for him to take care of his most pressing need. What is his most pressing need? He needs to walk again. But Jesus forgives him of his sins. His greatest need. And then he goes to his most pressing need. His greatest need was he had hostility between him and God. His greatest need was this sin that was out of control and out of check. We need reconciliation with God because we're all at war with God. Now, I I, I think of it this way. I've been a pastor for 30 years. I've met with many couples that were once in love, and now they're estranged with each other. I I don't use that word estranged often, do you? (laughs) It just means basically this, that you were once in love, but now you've become like strangers. And it happens so subtly. It can happen so easily. You fall in love with someone. And you notice you fall in love with... Often opposites attract... You fall in love with someone with a set of characteristics and and values and personality, and you find it very attractive initially. But anger gets in there over time, and then there's a pulling away, and you get to a point where you can reframe all their strengths as flaws over time. It happens very easily. Hostility can easily creep into any relationship and distort it and destroy it. You know, uh, yesterday morning, I woke up. And my bride of 30 years, this is Shelly and I, 30 years we've been married. She had made coffee, I grabbed a cup, I sat down on the couch next to her, we'd do the same thing every morning. But she was different with me. She was a little cold towards me. I said, Shelly, oh, is something bothering you? She said, I'm mad at you. And I just woke up, I'm thinking, already mad at me? What did I do this morning? <laughs> But you need to understand something. Shelly has a nickname for me, but none of you can ever use it, okay? She calls me Johnny. It's a kind of cute little thing, so. But in our marriage, there's two Johnnies. There's dream world Johnny, and then there's real world Johnny. And dream world Johnny gets real world Johnny in trouble all the time. (laughs) She had had a bad dream, and it centered around me. Here's what happened. I wanted to see if Shelly's in the room here right now. I'm not sure she is, but. Here's what happened. So apparently, Dreamworld Johnny had accepted a speaking engagement at a camp. So I'm just going to go speak at a camp somewhere. And Real World Johnny, or, uh, Dream World Johnny convinced Dreamworld Shelley Shelly that she would want to go too. This will be a lot of fun. We'll spend some time together. It'll be great. It's out in nature. It'll be wonderful. And we showed up, and apparently, apparently uh, our accommodations were shared with eight other people. It was a bunkhouse, and we we're in bunk beds. Dreamworld Shelley was not liking that, but it wasn't even that. It was eight people we were sharing the room with. It was the fact that Dreamworld Johnny's okay with it. <laughs> She's mad at me because I'm okay with it, and they, you know this is part of my nature. Is I can be accommodating, easygoing. It's just kind of part of my nature. It's also what rubs Shelley the wrong way at times because sometimes I can put my family last because I'm just easygoing and accommodating. So, Dream World Shelly is very angry at Dream World Johnny, and then we wake up, and it takes two coffees for for real-world Shelly to to start to get a little closer to real-world Johnny. (laughs) Little hostilities grow over time. None of us are immune from it. No relationship is. One of the things I was most attracted to about Shelly when we first connected was how faithful she was. In a world that is undependable, you can count on Shelly. She's steady. There's a predictability in her, there's a faithfulness in her that was so attractive to me. But when you let anger get in, it can begin to distort even those good things and turn them into flaws. All of a sudden, that faithfulness that loves routine and needs routine and wants routine seems controlling or limiting. Because anger distorts the way I see it, and all of a sudden, the strength is a flaw. Shelley would say when she first connected with me that she was really attracted to my spontaneity and my daringness. But as anger enters in, it can easily be distorted and seen as unpredictability, being uncaring. It's amazing how easily things get distorted relationally between us and others. And the Bible says that's what happens between us and God. There's a hostility between us and God, so much so that we begin to see the justice of God its now just cruelty of God. How dare God hold us accountable for this? This isn't wrong by my estimation. And the justice of God is now the cruelty of God. The sovereignty of God is now the unaccountability of God. How could I? I cannot believe a God who would allow this to come in my life. I need to be able to hold him accountable. He's not controllable. This is not right. All of a sudden we see the patience of God as the failure of God to act. Because God's timing is not ours. And all of a sudden we prayed for it and it didn't come when we wanted it, how we wanted it. Who who how dare he? We begin to see the, the, the love of God as the cruelty of love uh, God. Why? Because, because he, starts, he loves the people we don't love. He loves the people and the communities and the people that you objectify, the people that you think are less than, that aren't godly, and he loves them all the same as he loves you. And we see that as a bit of a cruelty. We see the wrath of God as the unfairness of God. See, here's the thing when it comes to God, and you may want to push back, and I would get it when you'd say, hey, wait, listen, I don't hate God. I believe in God. But what version of God do you believe in? I think if I asked people, especially in this room or online, I think if I asked, do you believe in God, a lot of hands would go up here. Maybe not all, but a lot would. But if I asked you, how many believe in the God of the Bible? That could be a different story. Because we have an image and we make God often in the image that's palatable to us, that somehow fits us. You ever notice in Bible, and this is why I I highlighted at the beginning of Luke 2, do not be afraid. You ever notice that people are terrified of God? His holiness, his justice, his righteousness. You cannot control God, you cannot play him, and you cannot manipulate him, and that's terrifying because that's how we operate in this world. Absolutely terrifying. And yet, they're terrified of God, and yet they're enveloped in his love, and his grace, and his patience, and his kindness, and so they can't get enough of God. See, if you've never been terrified of God, you probably made God in your own image. If God only loves the people that you love, <laughs> you probably make God in your own image. And he hates the people you hate, you've made God in your own, uh, own image. See, when you think, see in this world, you see nations at conflict with nations. You know, and they say they're going to war in the name of Jesus. It's never in the name of Jesus. It's the name of land, and the name of political power. It's the name of economic greed. It's the name of racism or nationalism. It's the name of many things, but it's not in Jesus' name. When you see people, maybe a Christian nation, going against a Muslim nation, and somehow in Christian, that's not in Jesus' name. Jesus said, blessed are thou, peacemakers. We'll talk about that in a minute. Blessed are the peacemakers. See, when you look at Jesus, when you look at God and the God of the Bible, we don't want an extreme God of mercy. We want a God that's merciful towards us, but not our enemies, right? We don't want a God of extreme grace because we want an earnable grace. I want to be able to earn my way into the kingdom that somehow I get the check mark next to my box we don't want a God of extreme holiness. We want a God of situational holiness, that the circumstances depend on how he behaves. See, we don't want a God that's moderate, or we want a God that's moderate. We want a God of the middle. But that's not the God of Crispus. That is not Jesus, this uncontrollable, untainable, powerful Force in this universe, this person who both holds justice and love in both hands, the truth and kindness and righteousness. This is the God that we serve. And you won't be able to have peace with God unless you admit, firstly, you've been at war with God. This is the gospel. The gospel is this Jesus came and lived the life that you and I could not live, He died the death that you and I deserve to die. And when I accept him, and when you accept him, you receive his record, and then we have utter peace with God. Utter peace with God. Nothing between him and us. I like how we sang in that hymn earlier, his gospel is peace. His gospel is peace. And friends, when you receive peace with God, you automatically are co-opted into God's mission to bring peace to this world. We are co-opted into that. We know very literally that someday there will be a second coming. And when Jesus returns, it will no longer just be peace between us and God. It will be peace on earth in every way. Every way. You know, as Mark was sharing his story and lighting that candle of the peace candle, we have the hope candle, the peace candle lit You know, which of us are not moved? Because we kind of know that that's not the order and the way God made this world to operate. Because you are built with the residue of Eden inside of you. The original creation. God didn't create this world to have death be a part of it at all. Sin broke that. And we kind of know that this is not the way it is. And Jesus reminds us over and over that someday... Death will end. No more tears. No more pain. No more suffering. No more cancer. No more sickness. And still then, our greatest need is not your most pressing need. Your greatest need is reconciliation with God. And we get to be a part of that because Jesus hates sickness. Jesus hates poverty. Jesus hates war. Jesus hates uh, suffering. And he's coming back a second time to end all of that. Look at what it says in Matthew. It says this. Blessings on the peacemakers. You'll be called called God's children. You're a peacemaker now. When you experience peace with God, you become a peacemaker in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your church, in your community group, in your neighborhood, blessed are the peacemakers, for they have experienced peace with God, and now they have peace to give to others. You know, why should you work with the poor? Why should you work with addicts? Why should you work with people who are troubled in mind or have broken relationships? Why should you work to restore and serve them? Because that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is working. That's where you'll find him. The poor are not a cause, they're not a cause, racism is not a cause, the marginalized are not a cause, addicts are not a cause, the LGBTQ community are not a cause, they are people, people made in God's image that we are to bring peace to, overtures of love and joy and hope, because ultimately peace wins. Ultimately, it is peace that wins. God who came into this world, that's what Christmas means, God comes into this world and he allowed the most terrible things to happen to him. He absorbed it, almost like a sponge. Think of Jesus like a sponge when he came on earth and he absorbed all the poison of this world, all the addictions, all the division and the strife and the pettiness and the jealousies. He absorbed it all into himself so that he could bring peace on earth. Peace between him and his creation. So we have an opportunity to lean in in this moment and not only receive peace with God, but to be peacemakers in this world. Thank you.